This is a Discovery Church podcast. Every heart found in Jesus' story. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, we pray that this message brings you deep encouragement. If you would like to get involved in the life of our church, head over to discoverychurch.com.au or check out our social media or YouTube channel. sitting for a while, why don't you stand up, have a wriggle, because I don't want you to fall asleep and get some oxygen to your brain. Just have a quick wriggle and I'm going to pray for us and then you can sit down again and we're going to get into the Word together this morning. So Father, I thank You that we get to gather together today in this way to centre ourselves around Your Word, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be stretched, to be invited into deeper relationship with You. And so I pray, come Holy Spirit this morning, would You meet us exactly where we need to be met and would You encounter us in a deep and real way today, amen, amen. All right, you can grab a seat. How many people know what a guilty conscience feels like? This, oh, nobody put their hand up. This is not a trick question. This is not a church of perfect people, let's be clear. How many people know what a guilty conscience feels like? If your hand is not raised, you're fibbing. <laughs> you are absolutely <laughs> fibbing. Hey, um, my first memory of what it's like to have a guilty conscience was when I was about seven or eight years old, growing up my family, Oh, excuse me, my family owned a restaurant. And we used to go to this um, place called Campbell's Cash and Carry. Is that, I don't know if it's still a thing or if you, you had that in Victoria. I grew up in New South Wales. Campbell's Cash and Carry. It's kind of like, I guess, what Costco is now, but it was cooler. Anyway, we used to go out to Campbell's Cash and Carry to buy things like the straws for the restaurant and the, and the serviettes and those things that you need to get in bulk. So we used to go for a big drive out there and they would have those trolleys that was kind of like a big pallet. And you could, I loved sitting on that trolley and you, you, as, as the shopping journey happened, you would just end up being surrounded by all the boxes and just sitting in the middle. Anyway, on this one particular shopping trip, we were passing through the chocolate aisle and there happened to be a big pallet of Milky Bar buttons. I don't even know if they make those, maybe still in New Zealand. They, they used to make Milky Bar buttons in these tiny packets and there was an entire pallet full of boxes and boxes and packets and packets of these. Now, there was one packet that was open and there were lots of little chocolate buttons just scattered around on this big pallet. And for a seven-year-old who loves white chocolate, that's pretty much as close as you get to heaven. And I watched as we went past in the trolley and I took note of these chocolate buttons. And when we were far enough away, because I was a fairly savvy seven-year-old, when we were far enough away that my parents had forgotten about the fact that we saw, I just said that I needed to hop off the pallet and just I was interested in going for a bit of a look around. And I managed to make my way back there and I stood in front of those little chocolate buttons and I thought, well, I didn't open those. Somebody else has opened them or they've busted open somehow, but here they are. And what a shame it would be if all of these little chocolate buttons, what a mess for somebody else to have to clean up. 
Perhaps what I might do is be very helpful because I was a very helpful child. My first merit award was for being very helpful. I thought I could be helpful and just collect a few of those and just pop those in my mouth, which is what I did. And then I discreetly made my way back to the shopping trolley pallet thing and hopped back on. And I didn't say anything about it to anybody, but all the way home, the guilt, that feeling that I didn't know what it was, was just eating me up inside. But it's funny, isn't it, as we get older, even as a child, we have ways of justifying our behaviour to ourselves, don't we? And then as we get older, our ways of justifying our behaviour get very much more sophisticated and complex. And we have a way of convincing ourselves that this little sin over here, that little white lie over there, that little secret sin over there that's not really hurting anyone, is it? It's not that bad. And we have a masterful way of being able to convince ourselves, disconnect ourselves, maybe even desensitise ourselves from our own shortcomings and our own sinfulness and our own brokenness in our lives. What we say is things like, you know, because we all still do things that we know we probably shouldn't do, right? You probably did something this morning that you're thinking, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yep, screamed at the kids or whatever you did. Um, but we, what the narrative we have in our head, it might just be me, so that's okay if it is. I'm happy to be for a confession time this morning. I think to myself, 95% of the time, I'm a pretty good person. I'm, I'm mostly kind. I try to be kind to most people most of the time. I go to work and I'm usually on, I try to be on time. I try to be on time to work and be a good worker. I pay my taxes. I haven't murdered anybody. I don't lie very often, maybe just an occasional white lie here or there. So overall, I'm a pretty good person. And so we kind of develop sometimes a bit of a sense of entitlement. Like I'm good most of the time. So this little thing over here, that's okay. Or maybe I even deserve that because I've worked really hard. I actually deserve that little bit of pleasure or that little bit of whatever it is. In church, church hasn't really helped with this because I think in the last couple of decades, we've done a great job majoring on the grace message. We love talking about grace because it's amazing, isn't it? It's literally amazing. We love the grace message. It's very palatable. It's very Instagrammable. We like to talk about it because it's really positive. Makes us feel good to talk about grace. We're not so great. We've minored, minored majorly on the sin message haven't we? And obviously when we talk about grace, we are implying the reality of sin because there wouldn't be grace without it, but we're just not very comfortable talking about things like sin. Makes us feel awkward. And the culture we live in doesn't help us either. We're living in this individualistic culture, right? Where the narrative is your truth over the truth. Whatever's your truth, you do you. Do you know what? You do you is not in here. It is not in here. I've looked. Now, I, haven't, I have not read every single word cover to cover. I will confess that to you. But as far as I can see, you do you is not in the Bible. 
Actually, what's in the Bible is the opposite. Whoever wants to save their life must lose it. Jesus said, those who would come after me must lay down their life, surrender, take up their cross and follow me. But our culture is all backwards and it's not helping us because it's reinforcing this idea that whatever's good for me is okay and there's no permission to hold one another accountable. And that's a slippery slope to be. Slippery slope to be for us, it's a slippery slope to be at this 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 time in our, in our culture for our young people. But we have the Word of God and um, sometimes what happens is we like to just read the good bits. The bits that, <laughs> we like to read our favourite bits, the bits that are comfy and happy and just remind us of all of the good feelings and we don't wanna read the hard bits. But the Bible doesn't shy away from talking about hard things. And so when we come to a series like this and we come to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five and Jesus has this set of teachings, these eight announcements of blessing that we're talking about, they're pretty jarring because they're all upside down because the kingdom's all upside down. And today I got the really easy one, guys. Do you know what we're looking at today? Matthew five, verse four, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Our word would be grief, grieve. Mourn's a bit of an older word. The word there is grieve. Blessed are those who grieve, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who grieve. Sorry, what? If somebody said to you, now Matt talked to us about this word blessed last week, makarios, the good life, Makarios means the good life. It's the good life when you're poor in spirit, he taught us about last week. So this scripture is saying, it's the good life when you're grieving. Envied are you, envied are you when you're grieving. If somebody said to you when you're in a state of grief, how blessed are you? How blessed are you that you're grieving right now? You would be offended that would feel very insensitive, wouldn't it? And so, but it's here in the scripture. So what do we do with that? Because it's here, so we have to wrestle with it. We read it and it feels jarring, but we have to wrestle with it and work out what Jesus was actually saying. So Jesus makes this radical statement. We would never say, what we say to people is, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry that that has happened to you and we seek to express sympathy and empathy for, because for us to think, we think we're blessed when everything's going well all the time. When we're happy all the time, when we're healthy all the time, when we're succeeding and when we're doing well at life. That's what we think is blessed. Well, I'm living the good life when I'm happy. I'm living the good life when I'm succeeding. But this scripture is the opposite. So it poses some big questions. What's Jesus actually saying? What kind of mourning is Jesus actually talking about? What kind of comfort then is he talking about? And how can experiencing grief possibly be the good life? How can it possibly be? So 
let's quickly remember who Jesus is talking to. Now, if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back because Matt spent the first 15 minutes of his message setting up scaffolding for this whole series. Some really helpful background and context. And during the week, Matt and Zeke and I recorded an extra podcast just to help you dive deeper into what's really going on here. Two really helpful things for you. But who is Jesus talking to? Who, are the, who is the original audience? They're Jewish villagers under Roman occupation. So they're, they're ordinary people, farmers, fishermen, um, agricultural workers. There are women, there, children, tax collectors, probably sex workers. They're living under the oppression of Roman rule and they've pretty much all but lost hope of any kind of deliverance. And they are believing that they are in this situation because of their sin, because they have not been faithful to the Lord, they've wandered from the Lord and this is where they now find themselves. So they're mourning, they are mourning, they're mourning a future that feels hopeless to them. Maybe you know what that feels like to mourn a future that feels hopeless. They're mourning over their own brokenness, they are because they know they've wandered from the Lord and they were mourning over the state of their city and it's, it's into this situation that Jesus speaks and says to them, blessed are you who grieve over your circumstances because you will be comforted. So what kind of mourning is this? When we think of mourning and grief, we automatically go to the kind of grief we experience when we lose someone dear to us. But that's not actually the kind of grief that Jesus is talking about. The Greek word here that he uses is the word pentheo. There are nine types of grief mentioned in the New Testament. Actually, let's say it like this. There are nine levels, one being the lowest, nine being the highest. This is level nine grief. This is the grief of all grief, the deepest kind of grief and internal sorrow and turmoil anybody could experience. And this is the grief that Jesus is describing here and it's the kind of grief that we experience over the state of our soul. So it's a spiritual mourning that Jesus is talking about, mourning over their sin and their brokenness, over the state of their soul. So it's personal, but there's also a corporate sense to this mourning as they grieve over their city and the circumstances and the hardships that they find themselves in. So it's a deep grief of recognising the state of where we are. We struggle to identify with this kind of mourning because it's countercultural to us. And honestly, a lot of the time, we don't see ourselves as people in need of a saviour. We don't. Listen to this from Billy Graham. The present age is definitely, the present age, now imagine when he's written this, but it's relevant for us. The present age is definitely not an age of mourning. Instead, people deliberately turn away from anything unpleasant, discernment to fill their lives with those things which will divert their mind from anything serious. In their preoccupation with momentary pleasures and diversions, people settle for shallow and empty substitutes for reality. Millions give more thought to what programs they'll watch tonight on TNT or what videotape they'll rent for the weekend. Teenagers, there used to be this time. No, I'm not gonna. Have a... Your parents have told you, I know. We tell you all the time and you're like, yeah, yeah, we know. Millions give more thought to what programs they're gonna watch tonight, what videotape they will rent on the weekend than they do to the things of eternity. We have become experts at blocking out pain and distracting ourselves from things that are hard for us 
or disconnecting, turning a blind eye to things, but Jesus is saying you're living the good life when you can humbly acknowledge your sin and grieve over it. He's saying this kind of mourning is necessary, not just necessary, but good. It's the good life. And you know what? There's no shame. He's not saying it with any kind of shame or condemnation, but an invitation to humility and repentance. And this is why only when we can acknowledge our brokenness and be present to our grief can we receive forgiveness, healing, and the comfort that Jesus promises. This is the JPEV version. I'm gonna put it up there for you. Next slide. Next one, guys. This is the JPEV version. It's not a new version, it's not a real version. This is the Jody's plain English version. <laughs> Full disclosure, so don't go and look for it and be like, you've made stuff up. I'm telling you, it's not a real version. You won't find it in your U version. But this is what Jesus is saying to them. This, like my brain, I'm a simple faith girl. I like to break it right down to a way that I can understand. This is what he's saying. You're blessed when you can humbly acknowledge your sin and brokenness and grieve over it for then you shall receive the comfort of healing and forgiveness. But you know what? There's also a school of thought that would say Jesus wasn't just talking about personal sin and brokenness, but that also he was talking about the grief and the sadness that comes from living in a world ruled by death. And this is the world we live in. It's an earthly world where death has the final word. But in the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, death gets swallowed up in victory and the promise is eternal comfort and eternal life. Now in a room this size, almost everybody here would have had an experience of grief. I can guarantee it. In a room this size, where something's happened to you, someone you love has caused you pain, perhaps you've lost someone dear to you. It might've been a phone call with that bad news might have been the death of somebody that you love dearly, could have been a breakup or a breakdown, an unwanted diagnosis, a devastating setback, a betrayal, a rejection, a loss of a job or a dream. I don't know what it might be for you and there might be people in the room and you're sitting in a place of grief right now. And you know what? So many of these things will not make sense to us this side of heaven. In my own story, I've got a number of experiences of deep grief. At 14, I lost my dad to suicide. Very difficult journey to go through as a young teenager. Doesn't make sense still, this side of heaven. But I've had to learn to reconcile that and know that there will be a day where things will make sense. One of the biggest questions of our age though is how can a good God let bad things happen to good people? Have you heard that question asked? Perhaps you've asked it yourself, you might be asking it today. And I loved what Heidi shared with us this morning and led us so beautifully and it ties in so well with what we're talking about today and Martin Luther describes it like this. He said, we live in the overlap of the ages where the kingdom of God is breaking in and where at the very same time we're looking forward and waiting for the kingdom to come. So the kingdom of God is now and not yet it's here and it's coming, and we live in the tension of that at the moment. But the invitation in the scripture is to be present to our grief, to be honest to it with God and not to ignore our need for comfort. 
Do you know that God can handle your honesty and He can even handle your emotions? He can handle your tears, He can handle your anger, He can handle your doubts. He can handle all of those questions. Where are you, God? Why is this happening to me? I'm afraid, I'm disappointed. I don't deserve this. Blessed are those who mourn for. There's a second part to the scripture, so don't freak out. Blessed are those who mourn for. They shall be comforted. This is my favourite part of this message. Do you know what this word comforted means? Listen to this, this is the Greek word. You know what, when I was preparing for this, I was praying that it was this same word, and it is, and I'm so excited about it. This word, comforted, because we have to preach true to the Scripture, not just make it mean what we want it to mean, right? Amen. This word, comforted, it's a Greek verb, parakleo. Parakleo is the word, to be comforted. But comforted by who or by what? The word is parakletos the paraclete, the comforter, the one who comes and stands alongside, the advocate, the strengthener, the standby. This is the exact same word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14 and John 16. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. They don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. This is the original, they're still trying to work out who Jesus is, but He knows He knows there's one coming. And so that's why He's saying, blessed are you when you mourn over your sin and your brokenness because there's one coming. And He's gonna come and stand alongside. This word paraclete, I want you to imagine, you know, have you ever seen, um, you know, you're watching the Olympics and it's the marathon race and somebody, they're right at the last lap, but they're spent, they're done, they've got nothing left. The finish line's there, they're here and they're struggling. And then you see someone, some miracle person, a coach, someone from the crowd come out and they put their arm around them and they take all the weight and they get there. And it's the chariots of fire moment. You've seen it. That's what the paraclete is. He's the one who comes alongside you at your weakest, when you are broken and when you are suffering. And He stands alongside you and He takes the weight and He advocates for you and He strengthens you. And this is what Jesus is saying, blessed to you when you mourn because the advocate is coming alongside you. Listen to this, John 14. If you love me, obey my commands and I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate. I've left that A there on purpose. Quick Bible reading hack. If you use a digital Bible, when you hover over that, it will tell you, it will come up there with all the other words, all the other references. It's when you hover over it, it'll say comforter, strengthener, standby. If you use a paper Bible, it'll take you to the bottom and it'll give you all that info there. So this is what Jesus says, if you love me, I will give you another, the advocate, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and it doesn't recognise Him, but you know Him because He lives with you now and later on will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. And he says it again in John 16. But now I'm going away. This is when Jesus says to them, it's better for you that I go. 
I'm going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will soon come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. The paraclete, the Holy Spirit, called to come alongside you, to be your strengthener, your helper, your counsellor. So when Jesus says to them, blessed are you who mourn for you will be comforted, what they would have understood him saying is, blessed are you who mourn and take heart because help is on the way. And somebody needs to hear that this morning. Take heart because help is on the way. Help is on its way to you this morning. Someone is being called to come alongside you to be your advocate and your standby. You know, and we have the benefit of hindsight, right? Because we know on this side of, of the timeline that Jesus is on his way to the cross. And not only was he going to send a standby, but he was going to stand in their place. And the blessing of the comfort that Jesus is talking about is for those humble enough to see and acknowledge their brokenness. Because when we ignore our need for comfort, we can't invite the comforter to those places of pain to bring us the help and relief that we so desperately need. So there's an invitation today to not ignore your need for comfort. It's hard for us because to lean into, to, to lean into grief and loss is, is uncomfortable. We struggle to do it for ourselves and we actually struggle often to hold space for others who are grieving as well. It's usually driven by a sense of fear of the unknown. We're not quite sure how to navigate that space, but the promise is that help is on the way. You don't have to be alone in your grief. The paraclete has been called to come alongside you and he will advocate for you. So getting to the end of this, you're blessed. This is Eugene Peterson's version. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. And I just wanna say this too, the promise is not that our grief would be removed instantaneously, but that in the midst of our grief and our pain, we would experience the deep comforter of the paraclete. So a word to those who are grieving in the room today, help is on the way. His name is Jesus. Band, you can come and join me. Um, in November, we launched in November, so last year in 2023, we launched our theme for this year as a church, a bit of a banner that we felt like the Lord was calling us to and it's the theme of radical devotion. And we're asking the question, what does it look like to live a life radically devoted to Jesus? To allow Him to draw us off of our own agenda for our lives, off of our own plans and onto His agenda for our lives and for our community and for our neighbourhood and for our region. And as we've been praying into that theme, one of the things I felt the Lord um, call us towards was a season of prayer and fasting as we lead into Easter. And we're gonna be doing that in March, um, starting on with an with a, um, encounter night on the 3rd of March and the fast will start on the 4th of March and take us right up to Easter week. Um, but what that's really about is allowing the Lord to break through our distractions, 
and to break our hearts as we look around at our friends and our family, our community who are lost and who are hurting, who are yet to find hope in Jesus. And to set aside this time of intentional prayer to pray for and believe for the spiritual and social renewal of our region. And so I'm telling you this now because I wanna give you plenty of warning and all of the details about what we're actually gonna do are gonna come out over the next few weeks. And then on Maundy Thursday, we're actually gonna um, be engaging in a combined prayer event with Red Church and One Church, but two other churches who are part of our tribe in the outer east. And we're gonna be praying and believing together for renewal to come to the outer east of Melbourne. And you know, I just wonder as we read these scriptures today and as I've been meditating in this scripture this week, I can't help but think, but could it be that something in our grief and our lament and in our posture of humility and repentance creates an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move. Could it be, could it be that when we find that place of being able to be present to our grief, to be able to mourn, not just our own brokenness, but over our region, that when we come humbly, open-handed, open-hearted, in repentance and humility, not with shame, not with condemnation, but could it be that it creates an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to do something incredible in our lives, in our families, but also right across our region and our city. I'm believing for that. You know, when was the last time we grieved over the state of our neighbourhood or the state of our nation? You know, when's the last time we asked the Lord to break our hearts for what breaks His? Scary question to ask, but are we brave enough in this season to do it? So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna set aside this time of prayer and fasting. And I will keep talking about that in the next few weeks, but I just wanted to seed that today to allow that to sit and for you to start to be curious with the Lord about how He might invite you to be part of that. But there's good news today. We're gonna share in communion together. Um, you might hopefully have received that on your way in. You can grab that and just do the awkward ripping thing now. If you didn't get one, just pop your hands up and one of our hosts will come and bring that to you. Do you know what's ama amazing is that mourning gives way to joy. And the table is the most beautiful example of that, where re remembrance and celebration sit side by side. When we come to the table, we have the bread and we have the, the juice. And we're reminded that our sin cost God greatly. It cost Him His Son but we're also reminded that the true joy of Christ's sacrifice, we're reminded of the true joy of Christ's sacrifice for us, that His grace is amazing. And we get to be humble recipients of it, because, not because of anything we did, but because of everything that He did. And so today, we're gonna share in the, in the bread and the, and the juice together and we're gonna be reminded that grief is a thin place. It's holy ground. It's a place where God draws near. Grief is a place where heaven touches earth. You know, when Jesus died, the earth shook. The earth shook and the temple curtain was torn in two and the dead rose from their tombs and heaven drew near. And as we gather at the table today with an invitation to be present to our grief, to be present to the death and the resurrection of Jesus in His presence. 
And we get to be encouraged that joy comes in the morning. Amen. So let's eat and drink together. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And we can rejoice too now when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good but God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Father, I thank You that You welcome us into Your family. I thank You for the gift of the table and for the incredible sacrifice poured out for us that we might have a way to come into relationship with You, to be freed from death having the final word and instead to enter into a place of victory and eternal life with You. So thank You, Jesus, for Your amazing grace. And we acknowledge humbly our sin and our brokenness before You today. And we receive Your grace afresh. And we pray, God, would You do a new thing in us, Lord. Help us not to ever take for granted our salvation, but would You set a fire in our hearts, Lord, to a fire that, that seeks to see our whole region, our whole city restored to You, God. And we honour You today, Lord Jesus, and we worship You and we commit ourselves afresh to You, Lord, with our lives, with our hands, with our feet. And we wanna be part of Your mission. And God, for those grieving this morning and in a place of deep grief and pain, I pray that they would experience You right now, Holy Spirit, the paraclete, drawing near, drawing near, drawing close, coming alongside, 
as their standby and their strengthener, their advocate. And I thank You for the amazing gift that that is, Lord. Would You encourage our hearts afresh this morning? In Jesus' Name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery Church podcast. It is our mission that every heart is found in Jesus' story. If you were moved by this episode, please take 30 seconds to share it on your social media. It only takes a couple of seconds to create life-changing impact.